Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan, and this is a podcast of mom supporting mom, women supporting women, specifically probably working moms supporting working moms, especially in 2020. And I'm always so excited when I can welcome a guest that is somebody that I've personally known, personally worked with, and seen their life change. And this is one of my old coworkers, friend. This is Tropicana. Tropicana, thank you so much for joining me today. Sarah, thank you so much for the invite. You are wonderful. You're one of those, I'm, I'm going to say radio, I don't know if I should say radio sisters, just radio friends, but I'm, I feel like I need to say sisters just because th- there's not as many women in radio as there are men. So I feel like when we meet each other, even when we move around the country, I don't think people realize like we still think of each other as like radio friends because it's a small community. Absolutely. And I would definitely call you my radio sister. I would call you my sister without radio because you were a very big instrument in my life changes. So of course, We are family forever, no matter what company we work for. So you're in Cincinnati now? I am in Cincinnati. So where are you originally from? You're from Ohio, right? So funny story. I'm actually a military brat. I was born in Germany. Um, I lived in Germany the first half of my life. I'm from Wiesbaden, West Germany. Um, I Everyone knows me for being from Ohio because uh, the last years of my college years and my early adult life, I moved to Cleveland and I was on the radio there for a number of years and I just kind of blended in. So I became part of their adopted family. So you can say I'm from Ohio. But no, I'm a military brat. So you grew up in Germany? Yeah. Um, my father was in the military and he was stationed in a number of places in Germany, in Stuttgart and Frankfurt and Wiesbaden. And I was born there. I was born in Mainz-Castell. Um, I lived right off the Rhine River for a very long time. It was a, a wonderful, I would say, a very wonderful experience growing up overseas. So how long were you there before you came back overseas? I was a teenager when we came back to the (gasps) States. So from birth until I want to say maybe 12 or 13, I was 13 when we moved back to the States. So I've never been to Europe. It's on my bucket list of must places to go. You gotta go. So what do you miss most about living overseas? Because I mean, oh my gosh, what an experience, not just to go on vacation there, but like you were a citizen. (laughs) You know what though? You it's just it's a it's a stark contrast for sure. What I think I missed the most was the experience and the culture. Although there are there's a lot of culture here, there's a lot of history there. A lot of their history is still preserved it, from my last experience there. I'm sure it's changed in a, since the time that I've been there. But growing up um Growing up, my mother worked full time and my father was in the military and it sounds so bougie, but I promise that I'm not bougie. You know that. But we had a nanny. My nanny, her name was Jeanette and she was from England and she would take me and my sister to museums and the museums would actually be castles. And we would go like on history tours and like to Hitler's house and different places like that. Um, I went to uh, the wall that came down and I have pieces of that. And I just missed like the, the culture, being able to really not just see history, but like step into it and kind of live in it as well. So that was my favorite part about Germany. It, it opened up my mind on communicating with other people. Um, being able to relate to different cultures as well as like people because the majority of my friends growing up were either German or Filipino or British. So it was a great opportunity for me before coming to the States to really have a a very cultural background. 
Have you been able to go back since? I have not been able to go back. We were because we were born there. We have dual citizenship. So I can go back. I just haven't had a reason to go back. How is it possible that I've known you for this song and I did not know that? I thought in my head she's from Cleveland. Yeah, because I always wear those. I'm from Cleveland t-shirts. <laughs> now, this is something you and I share. So I actually am from Cleveland. I was born there. Okay. And I moved down here I to the Louisville area. I did not know that, Sarah. You did it? I never <laughs> knew you were from Cleveland. Are you serious? Yes. I never knew that. Yes. Okay. I am from I am from Cleveland. Like I was born there. Um, my dad is one of eight kids and all of his brothers and sisters live there. I've got 30 some cousins all around the Cleveland area, aunts and uncles everywhere. Um, but my dad got transferred down here when I was three. So mm-hmm. growing up, I never said that I was from the Louisville area. I always said I was from Ohio. And it wasn't until I was in college that I was like, okay, I don't even remember living in Ohio. So I probably should just <laughs> say I'm from the Louisville area. But I mean, ultimately, like I thought always up until college. Like I'm from Ohio. I thought I was going to move back to Ohio to do radio. I want to do radio in Cleveland so I could get back home there. Even though I was, my only memories of life are growing up in the little area. But yeah, I mean, I just bought my kids all matching Cleveland Brown shirts last weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Because once you are from Cleveland, you are from Cleveland and they, you belong to them. That's a real thing. I did not know that. Now we definitely are like adopted cousins, Sarah. It's a thing. Exactly. That's one of the biggest reasons why I've never had a Southern accent is because I was raised in a home where my parents are from Cleveland and we don't have a Southern accent. Yeah. Um, I don't say y'all. I don't have a typically a twang to my voice because I'm not, I was not raised in a home that was from the mid, I mean, this part of the Midwest. So <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Look at this. We're already learning stuff about each other. I love this. So love you moved you moved to Cleveland when you were a teenager. What was the hardest part adjusting to being from being all over Europe in a very cultural place, um, a very historic place that obviously has a much longer running history than anywhere in the U.S.? But what was the hardest part for you? You know what? Uh, prior to moving to Cleveland, we lived in Oklahoma. We They sent us to like every weird place that you could think of first. So we lived in Oklahoma for a little while and I started college in Oklahoma. Um, and then we moved to Ohio. We moved to Cleveland after after that but just adjusting to the states um well the first part that was you know stuck out to me is that we only knew about the states through our parents experiences for me it was music I learned about what was going on in the states growing up through my father my father would go to the store and he would buy music every Friday and Saturday we would go to the store so I grew up Um, learning American culture through music and listening to my parents talk about things that they did growing up. When we first moved to the States, we moved to Oklahoma. And in my mind, Sarah, I thought that, okay, Oklahoma, and I'm looking in the book, I'm moving to Oklahoma. I need some cowboy boots. I'm going to live on a ranch. (laughs) This is going to be amazing. I got to learn how to milk cows. Nobody's going to be my friend if I don't know how to milk these cows, right? And that was what my idea was because living overseas, you only have an idea of what the what the US is through um, like American movies or things that you saw on television. So we didn't have um, living on a military base. We didn't have like cable like we have now. So we had like the military channel that played like I love Lucy all day long. So only ideas that I had of like the the I guess you would call that. That's not really the Midwest. Uh, what would you call Oklahoma? Well, Oklahoma oh, that's, um, Central 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 America would be that, you know, 
we have to live like on a farm. I have to fit in. And then moving from Oklahoma, even though I was like almost an adult, that was the culture shock for me. And y'all know I'm silly, but I'm honest. So we were moving to to Cleveland. And again, I grew up overseas. So growing up overseas, I know places by how they are play, how they're how they sit on a map geographically. So all I could think is Cleveland's at the top of the map. That means it's up there by New York City. So I'm going to be living close to New York City. We're moving to the big time now, like moving from Oklahoma to Cleveland. And when we got to Cleveland, I remember coming into the city and seeing my first skyscraper. And at this point, although like I'm like in college, Sarah, like in college, I was seeing the Key Bank building. If you've, mm-hmm. you've been to Cleveland, you know, when you're coming through Cleveland Heights and you see the Key Bank building standing tall over the city. I was like, oh, my God, we have made it somewhere. I am so excited. And I remember driving through downtown Cleveland and feeling like that I was in what I would have imagined to be a Chicago and to, in a New York until I actually got to those places. But I remember being in fear going across the the bridge, the Detroit bridge going into the west side of Cleveland because I thought they were kidnapping me and taking me to Canada because oh my God. there's <laughs> at the top of the map. Y'all are crossing this body of water. <laughs> You're trying to kidnap me. But, you know, it's just been an amazing adventure for me being able to, in my young age, um, just explore these different places, which is why I am very thankful for radio. And although it, it times it seemed like a hassle moving from city to city. I've genuinely had an opportunity to have a roadmap of the United States and experience these different cultures and these different cities and different people and communities. And it's been a blessing. So I think it's the same as how I felt in Germany. It's just a continuous adventure of of learning for me. So I hope I answered your question. No, you did. I mean, I am so entertained and knowing your story and moving around. What a wonderful perspective that is no way that could be one-sided because <laughs> you've seen it from all the sides. Um, so in college, did you study broadcasting or communications? I did. I actually started in radio before I got to college, though. My last year of high school, the radio station I was working for um, had a contest called Making the DJ. And it was like American Idol and making the band back in the day mixed together, but on the radio. And you got a number. You couldn't tell anyone your name. And you had to go sound really cool on the radio. And I entered that contest. And my program director at the time back then was like... Uh, we already got everybody that we need and I just need somebody we can vote off quick. She's going to lose. So let me put her in here. And <laughs> I won. Uh, I won after a six week run um, against like some of the really popular people in the city I had grew up in. And my, my, my prize was concert tickets to see Usher and uh, Kanye West in Dallas, a CD prize pack. Thank God we don't give those away anymore. Um, <laughs> and a 6 a.m. shift on Saturday morning from 6 a.m. to 12 noon every Saturday morning. So that was how I got into radio. And once I started, I said, well, let me go and learn about it as well. So my major changed to broadcasting. What a fun way to start. I know. I, 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 I just bless God for um, just his his divine, um, I guess, plan for my life because it could not have gone any other way. It just fell into place. And I've been on radio since then. I was 17. I was just about to ask, how old were you? So 17. Mm-hmm. 
You know what though? I always, um, I started in college radio when I guess I was 18. It was during my freshman year of college. Uh-huh. And that's what I, I always tell people. I'm like, A, it's sometimes you just get bit by the bug. And like mm-hmm. first week of college, I knew, I thought I was going to go to school to be the next Diane Sawyer who's from Louisville. And then as soon as I got into college and I went down to the radio station and then I walked over to the TV station, I was like, nope, going back to the radio station. <laughs> because I knew I was like, I can't sit behind a teleprompter and read depressing news. That's just not me. I totally respect the people that those people are, but that's not me. (laughs) Right. So you went to college and then did you end up getting a job in Cleveland and staying in Cleveland for a while out of college? No. Well, yes and no. I started in a very small city called Fort Sill, Oklahoma in Lawton. And, you know, you went back to Oklahoma. Uh-uh, no, no, no. I got my first start in Oklahoma. Oh, OK. So I started there. And then in college, I because I just did not know, you know, I think that like and I wish that we kind of still did that where, you know, there's just this. I guess not arrogance, but there's this fearlessness that comes with not actually knowing how things work. You just do whatever because you don't know how things work. I called the CEO of the company that I worked for and told him that I was, I called like the Kathy Hughes of Radio One and told him, Mr. Perry, that was his name. Mr. Perry, I just got accepted to Oklahoma State University and I'm moving. And you know, I won this contest down there. I had not even been working there a year, Sarah. It was like, and I was just wondering if you had something, you know, available in a market that would be close to my school because I'm going to college. And he laughed at me, but he was just, you know, like, you know, not upset in a in an older grandfather type of way like you know what she does not know how this works i was in market <laughs> 257 and the closest market to my school was like market 53 which was oklahoma city and then market like 71 which was tulsa so he called the program director and was like give this girl a job so while i was in uh college at oklahoma state i would drive an hour and a half every saturday morning for a 6 a.m shift to work in tulsa oklahoma until we transferred uh, to, to to Cleveland. And again, there, um, I called the program director of the station and I left her a message on her voicemail and said, hey, I'm moving to Cleveland with my family and I'm, I'm down here doing um, full-time afternoons and um, I just wondered if you had anything available because I'm moving there because in my mind, I just thought that that's how things worked. So she called me back, Sarah to correct my grammar on something that I had said because she was <laughs> and she was like I just wanted to let you know that it's is not we or something she said and um, she was like and I don't have anything available but if you happen to come to the city please come and visit me I'd love to meet you I took that as yes come see me I'll give you a job so I quit my job <laughs> and transferred to Cleveland moved there with my family and I went to the radio station to go meet um, Kim Johnson and I guess I still did not get the impression that she had said no even though she had said no so I came in with my air check and met her and she just kind of looked at me and said you know what I don't have anything available but since you're here I do have a part-timer who is working too many hours you can do 6 a.m because for whatever reason God really just wanted me to pay my dues you can do 6 a.m on Saturdays and Sundays um and take some take a load off of him and from there it was just an accelerated growth from um Board hopping, not talking from 6 to 12 a.m. in the morning to about a month later being on full time, being on the weekends to about six months later producing the morning show to a year later 
they brought back Sam Silk, who is like a legendary radio personality from Chicago. And they asked me, had I ever been a producer? And I said, nope, but I can do it. So they put me on Afternoon Drive and we were the number one afternoon show for almost three years in a row there. And um, that was just my my growth, the beginning of my growth in Cleveland. And from that, it was just amazing. You know, I don't think people realize sometimes in radio, like, and I try to tell people this as I try to talk to younger generations too. Sometimes it is being in the right place at the right time. And, and by that, I mean, sometimes you, you make it so it's the right place at the right time. You always say, I don't know how to do that, but that doesn't mean I won't learn how to do that. I don't know how to do that yet, or I will learn something because <laughs> Trap, you and I have a lot more in common than you realize. Um, <laughs> so when I was in college, I came back to do an internship or I came home to do a summer internship when I was after my freshman year, I was just a kid. Well, then the one morning show host was gone and they were like, here, we'll just see how you can do and do some traffic reports. Well, then that turned into the same thing, being a board op and a tech. Mm -hmm. And then that turned into them being like, Hey, would you want to do a part-time shift on the weekend? So then I was driving twice a week home from IU and I was coming back to the radio station to voice track three days at a time. And then I'd come back. Um, and then that turned into, hey, we've got an opening. Are you interested in a job? And it's like, I just don't think people realize sometimes it's just a matter of I said yes to something crazy, whether that means you're traveling a lot, you're working odd hours, you're teaching yourself how to do something you don't know how to do. Um, at one point, I got laid off in, from one station in, in the building you used to work for. And they were like, well, there's a job opening up over here. And someone told me, make yourself irreplaceable. Figure out how to do something that no one else knows how to do and wiggle your way in and keep saying yes to opportunities. And I mean, I think so much in radio, in this industry, it's just saying yes and saying, and sometimes not getting paid the most, but right. <laughs> you're just saying yes to the opportunity because you have to realize that you're at least getting the experience and your yes might be yes to this small opportunity, but it can grow into an amazing opportunity. You never know where this opportunity is going to land you next because every opportunity is an exposure for your next one. So it's just what you said. It's saying yes to what might seem small or what might seem crazy, but to someone else, it shows like, oh, okay, she did that there. She made herself irreplaceable there. Imagine if we put her here. So you're absolutely right. I 100% agree. It's saying yes to whatever opportunity presents itself and then like dominating it. Exactly. Exactly. And showing yourself and never being like too big to do a task. And as we've already discussed, like it's a small industry. Mm -hmm. So therefore everybody knows each other. And if people can remember, I remember when Trap showed up at my office and I did not really invite her for a job, but you know what? By the end of it, somehow I gave her a job. Like that just shows <laughs> who you are. Oh, that's a blessing. Thanks, Sarah. I mean, that's just awesome. Like, I'm so proud of that just because it reminds me of a lot of times where I was just like, sure, I can do that. And some people were like, how did you get that job? I was like, because I was dumb enough to say yes. <laughs> and I remember telling her, like, listen, if you don't have anything on the air, I can sweep. I sweep really, really good. Do you need this building swept? I can sweep. I can mop. I just need to be in this room. So whatever you have, I'm going to take it. And I think that like for a lot of and I had I was doing afternoon drive when I got there. I gave up afternoon drive at a young age and. And I was making like my first salary. I was not even 22 yet. I think I was like maybe turning 20 at that point. Like, 
you know, we just kind of have a different level of arrogance. Or I see that now with younger talent that come in, like I'm going to come in and be a superstar when really your humility is what really carries you to bigger places and to great opportunities. So, yep, it's saying yes to the opportunities that doesn't they may not seem like they're going to be the most amazing, but they turn into the most beautiful story. My my love affair with Cleveland has been such an amazing journey. It grew me as a woman. They they loved on me. They protected me. They taught me you get knocked down, you get back up, you fight. We are Browns fans. Whether we lose, win, or draw, we're going to go for the blood. And <laughs> you need to carry that with everything that you do wherever you go. So, yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, I couldn't agree more so much. Again, if you're a Browns fan, it shows what it shows what true grit you have to have and determination to keep going and picking yourself back up again. But I mean, uh, and we don't even have to get into this yet about 2020. But I mean, there's been a lot of people in our industry that have lost their jobs this year, yes. and it's been a no, no fault of their own. But it's just like, unfortunately, that's our industry, and you have to figure out how to pick yourself back up. And chances are, you're going to be stronger for it. And you're going to help reinvent yourself or find the next place that you're going to make the most of it. So you were in Cleveland. When did you end up in lovely Louisville when I got to meet you? I came to Louisville in 2015, um, the beginning of 2015. I, uh, as you said, a lot of, in our industry, things happen where you get let go. I actually, and I don't really talk about this, but Hey, it's part of my story. I talk about it, uh, in my smaller group meetings, but I got let go in Cleveland. Um, no fault of my own. And I can say that freely. I had done anything or done anything wrong. And that situation revisited me again once I came back to Ohio um, in my journey, because I think that everything comes full circle at times. But I got let go. Um, and I thought it was the end of the world because I had never really been fired. I hadn't been fired in radio yet. And they tell you that, like, you like you haven't really experienced radio until you get fired um, because that's when you really get a chance to see like who's really in your corner, who really roots for you, who has your back. Um, and you get a chance to see like the, you know, the very superficial side of it as well. Who's not going to pick up your phone calls anymore. Who's not going to be there to comfort you. And I, um, I got let go kind of at the height of my success at that point. I think I was making Sarah like six figures. Um, what? Mm hmm. Uh, with yeah, from being in the streets, I was all over the city. I hosted parties probably six days a week. I was hosting events. I was hosting events for the Cleveland public school systems. Um, prior to Bill Cosby becoming a felon and a criminal, he had a school tour that he did, and I would host that for him and with the kids at. Cleveland Public School Systems. Um, I would work with Mayor Frank Jackson and different things that he was doing in the city. And I was very, very invested in the community. And I was doing nights as well. I had crazy endorsements, crazy endorsements. They don't make endorsements like the city board God. Where are the endorsements? But uh, it was a great experience. <laughs> and in that, uh, I, I didn't have, my goals weren't that big. I Again, coming from Oklahoma, I wanted a penthouse apartment or an apartment downtown like Mariah Carey in her video with Snoop Dogg. I wanted a sports car with two with two doors and leather seats. I didn't want much. 
And I kind of got that. And then it was like, okay, so where do we go from here? And I remember my program director at the time, who was also my VP, when I signed for my full-time position at nights, he said, um, don't get comfortable. And I was thinking, I just got here. What do you mean? Don't get comfortable. He was like, don't get comfortable. After you do this, start working on your next move. And I just wanted to enjoy where I was at. But I understood why he said that because God has something bigger for me than just Cleveland. So after that, um, I was off for maybe about three months and I got a call from Philip David March in Louisville, Kentucky. And Mr. Philip David had said that some of the record reps that I had met or came across over my career in Cleveland and other places, they were calling him and telling him, hey, there's this girl out of work in Cleveland that I think that you should meet. And Philip David just called and said, hey, you ready to move to Kentucky? I was like, yeah, I'm on my way. And the rest of that was history. I was in Louisville, Kentucky about a month later. I love that. That's, I mean, you know what it's, and that it, it's hard not to, it sounds so negative, but unfortunately in our industry, there was a couple things that happened. Yes. Sometimes the market fluctuates and, Unfortunately, it's just a number. It's a budget thing. But also a lot of people in radio, they bounce around markets so much because that's how they move up in the industry, whether it's they're moving up to a larger city, they're moving up to a more um, predominant day part like morning or afternoon drive. That's how they get those stripes on their resume of I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, depending on what their goals are. So it sounds so cruel to be like, don't get comfortable. But that happens so much. And honestly, a lot of times people don't sit that still in radio, which I will have, you know, the very first job I got here in Louisville, I thought I was still in college and I bought a red two seater convertible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It literally cost as much as my salary. And I thought I was so fancy, not realizing how far into debt I was putting myself. Um, It didn't matter. You had to look. We'll get take care oh. of the debt later. <laughs> oh, no. I had the look. And it's so funny because I pulled up the one day to train this whole new crop of board ops and techs. And when I pulled up, they told me later, they were like, oh my God, we're getting in this industry. She's got a fancy sports car. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this is going to be the best job ever. And I was like, I'm just over here with like $600 a month payment in college thinking I'm like living my best life. <laughs> right. Like it's golden. And it's so crazy because I would always wonder like, why do they think that we're rich? Oh, because we got this. Oh, because you live downtown. Like, oh, that's why you thought I was rich. No, 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 no. I still like am not rich. I remember one of my interns no. saying, like, why are you dating regular guys, Trap? You're supposed to be dating like stars and NFL players. No, I'm not. This is radio. This, this is, is radio. radio. <laughs> we seem fancy, but trust me, we are so far from it. No, I'm no, so no. happy. When you got to Louisville, you had this energy. You were so infectious. And I got so excited. Um, I'm one of the weird people that has stayed in one place the whole time, but that's only because I've moved around the same building into, I mean, basically every job, but janitor at this point, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, so with that being said, you came in and I was just like, this girl is awesome. Oh, She's got a sweet name. <laughs> she was always smiling. Um, they call her Tropicana and she, you came in an afternoon drive, right? I did. I was supposed to actually come in and do midday. So it's even funny that you said that, that sometimes you, you, you move up to another position and I was doing nights in Cleveland, but Philip had, had slated me to come in to audition for 
middays. And I guess whoever was auditioning for afternoons, he just said, we're going to switch you out. So that was my first full-time afternoon drive show hosting by myself. So I was so excited about that. I was so excited. I think I remember that. that. I remember the switcheroo. Everyone thought this position was open, but then it turned out that's not the case. Yeah. And then you came in and I was like, yes. And other, also I was like, it's another young female, which is just not as common as you would think necessarily in our industry. So how, how long were you ended in, Louisville was about three years it wasn't quite three years I feel like it was abbreviated um I got there in 2015 and I think I left in 2017 so talk to me about Louisville did you like it here Sarah, I love Louisville. I and not because I'm on the phone with I get chills when I say that. I love Louisville. Louisville was like, I remember saying that I'm coming to Louisville and I'm going, it was just such a, a lovely, warm, comforting place to be. It felt like and of course I'm drama. So sorry, this is the, I grew up overseas with the nanny watching AMC and I love Lucy. So I felt like, you know, those, it just felt charming. I felt charmed when I got there. I felt like I'm going to find the love of my life in Louisville, Kentucky. And I am going to live forever here because it was just a place that was just so welcoming. No matter, no matter what the situation was, it was just a like like a warm hug, like you were at your grandma's house. And that's how I felt in Louisville. I loved every moment, even the hard moments. I loved them in Louisville. I loved it so, there. So on a personal note in Louisville, mm-hmm. your life definitely changed real for fast. the rest of your life <laughs> while in Louisville. Absolutely. It happened real quick, overnight. I don't know what happened. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and what was it that happened to you? I got pregnant. I it, it was miraculous. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened. <laughs> no, I um it really it definitely it that was a life-changing event for me. Um in Louisville, I did meet like a love there. Um and it it happened real fast like a whirlwind and I don't know if I was there a good 6 months because one thing for sure about Louisville is that you're not supposed to drink the water. If you drink the water, you will leave with a baby. Y'all didn't <laughs> put that sign on the wall if you drink the tap water you're gonna get pregnant so be careful down there if you're just moving or you're going to visit bring bottled water you're gonna leave with a kid but um yes I got pregnant and I had my first baby or my only baby my son in Louisville boogie so what I remember so specifically about this which now that I'm thinking back to the time you were there you were in Louisville with me during the hardest point of my career. Um, as far as just, there was so much happening. Um, now that I think about the actual year. So when you started there, I had just had my second. Now that I think of 2015, my daughter was born in 2015. So you were, were you not at a broadcast when your water broke? Yes. Yes, Sarah. And I'm, and you might even remember the day because what actually happened that morning was um, we had a all staff meeting because there were rumors that another station might be coming. And it was a, like a, a very intense meeting. I don't know if you remember that day. I do remember that. That was the day. And it's, it's, I'm so dramatic. Lord, I just bless you. Thank you, God, for carrying me through all my drama. So we had that meeting and all I was thinking while everybody was talking is that I am really hungry. 
I am so hungry and I got some hot pockets in the freezer and I can't wait for this meeting to be over. And we finished that meeting. I went upstairs and warmed up some hot pockets. And then we got called into another separate meeting and I didn't get a chance to eat my hot pockets. Now the hot pockets are important. So we sat through another meeting and it was like about another hour and I didn't get to my hot pockets. So I rewarmed them up again and set them on my desk. And then Chris said, hey, we got a remote. We got to go. So I walked past them and forgot to grab my hot pockets. Left the hot pockets, went to a remote at a mental health facility. And I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you, but this is part of my testimony of why I love Louisville so much. And it was a blessed place that God sent me. And it was my, the most special place that God sent me in my career. And I knew that it was a God thing after this experience. We got to the mental health facility. They were opening up there. It was a ribbon cutting and they were revealing this, this, uh, this facility so that if you have mental health issues, you could go and like play video games and hang out. It was just a very interesting place. And while I was sitting there, I was thinking about my hot pockets because I was hungry and I'm pregnant. So you know how pregnant women are when we're hungry and we have our mindset on these hot pockets. So I'm a little bit pissed to be honest. So this lady walks over and I don't know if you've ever watched TBN, um, but if you're ever, if anybody has ever watched TBN and you're familiar, you grew up in church house, TBN had these hosts called named Paul and Jan. And Jan had this big blonde hair and she used to wear a blue eyeshadow and she just looked crazy. She was like your typical 80s, 90s TV evangelist. And this lady walks across the street while I'm leaning against the station vehicle. And she walks across the street with her puppy and she says, hey, and she looked crazy, Sarah. Like when I say crazy, I put in the mind of maybe like a drug addict would have been my first thought. Like this lady is a drug addict or she's homeless. It's one or the other. And she walked up and she was like, hi, how you doing? But we're radio personalities and we genuinely love people. So we talk to anybody. I'll talk to Have anybody. To. Yep. So she walks up and she was like, hi, what are you guys doing here? I was like, oh, it's a ribbon cutting for a mental health facility. And she said, oh, this is amazing. I've been praying for this street. I've been praying for this street every day. This is amazing. This is a prayer come true. So then she began to tell me about what she does, how she, you know, feeds the homeless and that her puppies, they were really cute, were like her tools to tell people about Jesus and that, you know, she just, you know, been praying for the for the community and this and that. And we talked for a short while. And then she said, you know, I, I'm about to go. But do you mind if I pray for you before I go? I promise I'm not making this up. And <laughs> this is crazy. So she says, let me pray for you. And my first thought also going up in a church home was you can't just let everybody pray for you because you don't know, like, what they praying. But something in my heart said, let her pray for you. So she prayed for me. She prayed that God would protect me. She prayed that God would give me peace. She prayed that God would uh, give me wisdom and following his will for my life. Those were the three things that she kind of prayed for me. And she just kind of gave me a hug. And when she hugged me, she said, you have a very big call in your life and you're going to shake up the world one day, something like that. And I just kind of looked at her and it was just like, you know, like my mama hugging me kind of. And that's a very weird thing to happen at a broadcast (laughs) at at a remote broadcast at a mental health facility, ribbon cutting. So I'm like, okay. So she turns to walk away and she says, what's your name? And I said, Tropicana. She said, Tropicana, can I write your name down in my book? I write people's name down in my book and then I pray for them. Is it okay if I put your name in my book? And I said, please put your name in my book, put my name in your book. So she turns to walk across the street to go back and Sarah um, on my son, Braylon Davon Hingle, on, on my life. I turned my head for a moment and looked back and that woman was gone. 
She was gone. There were no like doors in the front of the building. Where she was, she had to like go upstairs to get into the building that was across the street. She was gone, Sarah. She walked to the middle of the street. I did not see her or them dogs on the other side of the street. What? Less than five minutes later, I stood up and grabbed the microphone to do my break and my water broke. I thought I was peeing on myself at the remote. I went into full panic. Yep. I called my son's father. And of course, I was not far, far along enough to my, have my water break. I was only 23 weeks. 20. Nope. I wasn't even 23 weeks. I might have been 21 weeks at the time because Braylon was born at 24 weeks. I was 21 weeks and I was like, I called his father who was really good at making babies. So he's an expert at this. He said, <laughs> hey, I, I said, hey, I, I think he's sitting on my bladder. Obviously not knowing that he wasn't big enough to sit on my bladder yet. I was like, I think that he's sitting on my bladder and I, I, I might've had an accident. Can you bring me some pants to my remote because I'm peeing on myself at my remote. And he, he couldn't get to me because he was at work. He sent his mother with a change of clothes and they rushed me to the emergency room. And three weeks later, that kid was here. I remember being in the office and there was all of a sudden a lot of commotion. Um, coming from your broadcast and someone said traps water just broke and we were all like no 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 she's not far enough along there's no way there's no way and then we found out traps in the hospital and then we found out traps on bed rest and she can't leave the hospital and then i see them pulling out the um broadcasting equipment because you insisted they bring it to the hospital <laughs> because you were still going to do your show and you did and so you were in your hospital bed doing your show live for three weeks to make sure you did not miss a shift. And I will never forget being like that girl is sitting in the hospital doing a show right now. And that's where the broadcasting equipment is. It was just like, it's so you. Um, and I just can't even imagine. I mean, obviously it's your first and every labor story is different, but like, this is certainly not what you had in mind. Nowhere and near. then most of the time, According to most doctors and OBs, 28 weeks is when they say is the safe zone-ish. Right. And you had your baby boy at 24 weeks. Yes, ma'am. You know, I, I just, again, like I said, I just really bless God for Louisville and the support that was there to allow me to do that. Because one, they were nervous. Like, are you sure that's what you want to do? Yes, it's what I want to do. This is the only way I'm going to be able to do this because I genuinely love radio that much that I was just going to lay there. And if I'm just laying here, at least let me talk to somebody. Let me think about something else other than if I'm going to make it. And if my child is going to make it, I'd rather kind of focus on doing what I love because it made it easier for me. And it was like, that was my therapy. And that was my way to like find a joke and laugh throughout the day. So just being able to connect with listeners and to have that kind of support from myself. And the, the crazy thing is that I wasn't even showing yet. I hadn't even announced that I was pregnant yet. I think only... I think I had only told some of y'all maybe a couple of days prior to my water breaking that I was pregnant. I had just started trying to take baby bump pictures like a week prior. It was not, you know, known to the public that I was having a baby. And I was like, okay, Braylon, you're going to make me tell them that I'm pregnant. You just got to be seen as usual. So um, that was, it was an experience for sure. And I'm just so thankful that like, you don't have that in radio. You don't have 
have that level of compassion. Um, you don't have that level of understanding where people will even say, you want to do your show live? Okay, here, let's figure out a way to help her do this show live if this is what she wants to do. And I, I can genuinely say that that experience probably saved my life as well as my babies because I probably would have lost it in there just sitting there every day. And I'm sure that you guys saved the nurses a lot of headaches because I would have been on their nerves. <laughs> what? How? I mean, how big was he when he was born? Wasn't he a pound? He was one pound, 11 ounces. Oh, my gosh. And even in that, um, I went into labor on Christmas Eve and... <sighs> I know it just, it just, just again, like I said, I, I know that everything about Louisville was a God thing. And I will always say that it's like God's country. Louisville is God's country. Um, so I went into labor and of course I'm not far enough an- along to, to know that this is labor. I didn't know anything about being pregnant. I hadn't even started really believing it. To be honest with you, we had a coworker that's on the news there, Mo, and we would, I was still going to the, to the store across the street, that CVS across the street from the station and buying yeah. pregnancy tests and praying and telling God, God, you are the same God that helped Noah build an ark. And you are the same God <laughs> that delivered the, the Egyptians from Pharaoh. I know that I could take this pregnancy test and I'm not going to be pregnant. And I was like, peeing on the test every day at work for about three weeks. And I would go and cry in the traffic studio with Mo every day about being pregnant because I knew that I knew that it was the end of my career. I knew that if I had a baby and I wasn't married and I was on the air that I would never be able to continue to work in radio. And I was terrified. So when I went into labor, I didn't even know because I was so early I was so early. I didn't know it was labor. I just thought I was sick. And I remember going in the shower and praying and telling God, like, God, okay, like I've tried to do this my way this entire time. And at this point, I can't do this part without you. So I am just going to give my son to you because I know that you gave him to me. And I just ask you to carry me through this. And I told God in that shower on New Year, on Christmas Eve, that if he would protect my child and give me a healthy baby boy, that I would utilize the platform that he gave me to always tell people that God did that for me. And at 1232 Christmas Day, Braylon Davon Hinkle, a.k.a. Boogie, was born on Christmas Day, the first Christmas baby of 2015. I, first of all, Mo was my guest two weeks ago um, on this podcast. Mo is one of, still one of my favorite people in the world. Um, she's wonderful. I can't, I can't imagine going through what you went through because not many people have gone through what you've gone through. Most women don't go into labor at 24 weeks. And most of the time they don't come out with being able to leave the hospital with a baby. Um, the day that my water broke and they took me into the room, like I just thought I was going in and I was going home and I was still telling the ladies at the hospital, I got to go back because my hot pockets are waiting for me at work. I said that to the nurse when she brought me in and she was like, baby, you're not getting those hot pockets. You're going into labor and delivery. And I did not have a thing for my son. I had not. All I had was a UK jersey that me and his father bought in a little UK hat. We didn't have a thing yet because I hadn't had a chance to do anything yet. So when she willed me back, she told me that if I went into labor that day, if I were to go, if they could not stop my labor the day that my water broke, I still had an option to say that I don't want this baby 
because I was still early enough to abort him. That's how early I was with Braylon. She said, you have a choice. She said, but if you make it to this week, she said, you would still have a choice. But as doctors, we would feel really bad about doing it. And I told her, I'm not aborting my baby. But that's how early I was. I was so early that I could, I still had an option to choose abortion if that was what my choice was. You know, actually, I had a friend of mine one of my close friends worked in the hospital that you were at during that time. And I remember you were there and she couldn't tell me anything, obviously, because it would have been a violation. But I remember like that you were like a little celebrity in the hospital. Um, (laughs) You brought so much joy to people as you went in because Boogie was there for how much longer after he was born. If he was born at 24 weeks, I can only imagine that he needed to probably stay there at least another, what, three months? He was there for about three months, two weeks. But the blessing though, Sarah, was that he was born and genuinely like, I I just bless God for it. And I just, I have no other words, but I just bless God for that experience because it just always reminds me of what he's capable of doing. So being born that early, they already told me that his lungs were not, when my water broke, his lungs were not fully developed. They told me that it was very possible he would not be able to breathe on his own, that uh, he could possibly have brain damage or bleeding on the brain, that he could have a hole in his heart and he would have congenital heart uh, failure or disease, and that there were a number of things that would happen with him being born. And he came out and looked around the room and took a deep breath. And I could hear them saying, is he breathing on his own? And they said, it might just be the shock. Like it might just be the shock of him being born. Let's hurry up and get him on the machine. And Braylon came out breathing on his own. There was nothing wrong with him other than he was little. There was nothing wrong with him. He was perfectly fine. And he was only like, he was on the lowest level of oxygen just to make sure if he ever decided he didn't want to breathe that he could still have oxygen, but he was fine. And the doctor, his his doctor that um, that was assigned to him said, you know, um, Miss, well, Tropicana, your son does not know that he's a preemie. He thinks that he is a full. He's, he thinks he's a full developed child and he's behaving like a baby who has been born for nine months. Like that's a full term baby. And she was like, it's just a miracle because we haven't seen it. And Sarah, they had doctors flying in from around the country to come and look at my son. And I just never would have thought that something so special, I'm going to cry, that something so special would be for me, like that he's mine, that such something so something that people would make such a big fuss about would be connected to me and that he would be so special to bring that type of experience and light and love to my life. And I just, you know, I just thank God for it because it would have never happened had I not came to Louisville and drank the tap water. So why did you think it was going to ruin your career and what changed your mind? You know, um, in, <sighs> we work in an industry where you are, you know, to be, you're supposed to be single and, um, you're supposed to be single and it just depends. I don't, I can't really speak on a lot of other formats, but being a radio personality, I came into a a format and organization that taught us early that you are young forever. You are single forever. You are incoming freshman every year for the rest of your life until you can no longer look like one. And that's just that you have Mm. to be a sex symbol and you are everybody's girlfriend. Everybody needs to love you. And that's that. And it was frowned upon for you to have a baby 
I didn't know anybody in my age group or older who had kids that were able to sustain um, being on the air for a long time after having kids. And it's almost like if you like have kids, you got to go to the older station and be over there because you can't have a kid and be over here because we don't have kids over here, even though the majority of my listeners have children as early as 18. And they had kids when I was at the, when I was at the radio station sleeping on the floor as a teenager. They had already had their children, but they had created this image that just kind of went along with the industry for women um, that you had to be like, uh, not necessarily just a sex symbol, but you had to be like the fantasy, everybody's best friend, everybody's girlfriend. And we can't be, you know, inconvenienced by you being a mother or you wanting to have a personal life outside of that. So it just was known. No one ever actually said that out loud, but it was just known. And we knew that you don't have a kid and you still make it. Not if you're going to be in the club every week, not if you're going to be on the scene every week, not if you got to be at the radio station these long hours, where are you going to have time for your baby? Because radio always comes first. And that was just kind of the thought process. So um, that was where that thought process process came from me. But now um, still, I think that there are challenges with being a mother and being in radio. I'm very thankful for how I started there because <laughs> Braylon would be in the studio with me in a in a sleeper next to the turntables while I would do my show when he finally came home from the NICU. NICU. And I had a, a support system that was very much like a family at uh, in, in Louisville at um, Alpha Media. And that was just an amazing experience for me. And even still, I think that I have had a, a grace and a level of favor that has sent me places where there has been a support system because I have still not been home. I still have not been to where my mother and my family is. I've moved around without a support system. And I just thank God that as long as you have a support system there, that you can still sustain. But it's, it's inevitable that you have to have one for sure. It is. And I think we do spend so much time at work. Um, in weird hours and odd jobs and <laughs> what we call work sometimes. And I know that when I announced that I was engaged um, at the office, I was young. And I remember some people looking at me so weird because you're right, that mentality of, you're, well, you got to act like you're single forever and all this stuff. And I was like, but I'm not. Um, and I think I was, my son was born in 2013. So I was like 25, I think something like that. And again, I felt so you're right. There was not, I had no one else around me that had young kids and I wanted to breastfeed and, and there was no one else in the building breastfeeding. I mean, I remember legit pumping in the studio mm -hmm. while doing my live show and I would put a little note on across the doorknob, like do not enter. <laughs> and I was like, I got to do a show. And that happened with my first two kids. At one point with my second, I had to switch to morning drive very quickly because changes were made. And I mean, I was hosting the morning show, running the board, like while pumping. Wow. And it was just one of those things where I did what I did. I had to do it. But I mean, I'm so glad you found a support system. I'm so glad we could be that support system for you because I mean, that's the whole reason why I even want to do this podcast because and you end up in so many situations and it doesn't have to be family. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's people that are your coworkers or it's a group of girls you barely know and you may just know them on social media, but they became a resource for you. I mean, it's so important to have somebody that can share your experience because feeling all alone is terrible. And I can remember 
um, coming out of high school, like when I was a senior, I had written down that I wanted to drive a convertible, which is funny. You and I both wanted that. Um, (laughs) I wanted to be in the media. I wanted to get married young and I wanted to be done having kids by the time I was 30. And I don't know why I wrote that down like that. I think it was because of my mom and dad and how I was, but or raised. And I did that, but I remember being on the air and feeling almost like an imposter because I felt like I needed to be like the sexy single, but I was like, but I want to talk about getting married or, but I want to talk about having kids. And it took me a long time to just own. This is me. And, and it's not wrong with it either. It's that somebody else's life and it's still sexy to be married and it's sexy to have kids. You have to have sex to have kids. So it's gotta be sexy somewhere to have a baby, but we don't talk about that. Like we make, and I've got three kids. I don't know what that says. You Um, are the ultimate sexy. Like we think that, you know, sex appeal means that you are single without kids because you just don't want to hear the crying that comes behind that. But the truth is being a mother is the sexiest thing that you can be. And the fact that I can be a mother, be on this radio, make you laugh, make you smile, make you enjoy your day, then go home and take care of my kid and make sure that my kid is amazing. There's nothing more sexy or powerful than that. Well, and there's nothing more relatable than that because you're totally right. I feel like there are so many women listening. It doesn't matter if they're married, single moms, whatever. There are so many of them that have kids. (laughs) Right. So it's just even more so just owning who you are. I mean, I've been on the air now for 14 years, and I really don't think it's been until the last four years, maybe five years that I've really just owned. This is me. Um, I can be a mom and I can want to have sex appeal at the same time, or (laughs) I can come to work and be a boss and still go pump in my office and host a meeting. Um, and it's just of that though, that was the one thing I have to tell you. Thank you for, and I'm sorry for interrupting you. I fine. have to tell you, thank you for that because I would literally, and this is just me being really transparent because first of all, I would never like, and this is, I'm not pro-life or pro-choice. I think that everybody has a free will to do whatever they want to do because that's the right that God gave us. However, I for myself know that I couldn't have an abortion because I just am a crybaby. I'm a crybaby. I would cry every day for the rest of my life. That's just my personal choice. But I remember being in the traffic studio with Mo and saying, if I have an abortion today, will he feel it? And we would look at the pictures and I would be like, I can't do that. I can't. I can't do that for me. Okay. So what do we do now? And she would be like, okay. And we would literally sit in the traffic studio and cry every day while I was pregnant. I would go in there. We'd eat cookies from Jimmy John's. Shouts out to Jimmy John's because her husband was amazing. <laughs> sending me food and cookies every other day. And I'd go eat my sandwich and forget about being sad. But I would walk around the corner to my office and you were being a boss you would be pumping in your studio. You would be working out after having your baby in the studio. And I had a chance to see that in that moment of fear on one side of the building, I could walk to my office and see that you can make it on the other side in one hallway, literally in one hallway in a corner. I would cry and walk to my office and see you pumping and bossing people around and telling people what they are and what they're not going to do. Checking on your babies at home finishing your show, doing your logs for your stations, meeting with your team, stopping, pumping again, then having your baby and then coming out and doing Pilates in the studio. 
while still coaching through your staff and your team, you exemplified what perseverance looked like as a mother. And you gave me hope that, listen, it does it does get hard, but you can do it. You brought me a bouncy so that I could carry Boogie on my on my chest while I did my show. I would carry him on that in in the studio. And it, it just was empowering for me because I did not know other mothers that were young. I was like the the first of the Mohicans and my and my friends who had a baby. And it was like, you're having a baby? What? We don't have babies. We travel. We're supposed to be in LA next summer. What are you doing? You having a baby? So I just have to tell you thank you. Because even even if you feel like you're just now owning who you are, maybe on air, who you are has always been an example for other people that there's nothing that you can't do. Well, that means the absolute world to me that you say that. And I mean, that again, even coming into 2020 off of maternity leave, that's one of the biggest reasons why I knew that I wanted to use my platform to even start a new platform. And because I knew some people didn't have that support. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I keep trying to find diverse people um, to join me because I want people to hear different people's stories and they, I don't know what they're going through, but I hope they listen to one person. I hope they listen to you today. And they, if they're over there taking a pregnancy test every single day and they're not sure how to feel about it, I want them to hear your story and know that it's okay. Um, or to know moving around the country, it's okay. Or if they're in a place where they don't feel like that they're have a lot of support that they can find the support. And that's literally the whole point of why I'm doing this. And drop, I, I think that what I'm going to have to do with you is you're going to have to be a part two. I think that I'm going to have to have you back because I'm pretty sure you and I could talk all day. And I mean, we've just gotten to boogie being born and already we've almost been talking an hour and I'm just so amazed by your story. And I'm so glad that obviously you've, you've persevered. You've um, gone through all odds, especially with Boogie. And now you're in Cincinnati and your son is now four. Yes, he's four. He'll be five in December. So on Christmas day, that little Christmas baby. So he's four. He's your, your little man. He's Thank so you. stinking cute. I do remember him being at the radio station with you. He was just part of the group. <laughs> <laughs> and he's done that. He's part of every station I work for now. And he, it drives me crazy. We did a, a, a live show the other day on voting and he ran past in his underwear. And I was so apologetic and like, I'm so sorry, y'all. And they were like, girl, if we don't see Boogie, then it's not actually a good show. So he has just, I guess, made himself a part of my brand as well. You know what though? But like you said, that just makes you that much stronger of a brand. Um, because that's just who you are and you talk about him and he's, he's you, he's your blood. Um, and I'm so glad that he's there. And I know that you and I are going to have our path. Well, our paths are still crossing, but I know like even more so our paths are going to continue to cross. And I am so thankful that our industry, even though sometimes we only meet, meet people in the same city for two years, geography doesn't mean anything. No. And we're going to keep, keep being our radio BFFs, keep trying to change the game and tell new stories and show people new ways and continue to tell people that don't tell me, no, I'll figure out how. <laughs> Oh, did you say no? Oh, wait a minute. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a minute. I'll be right there. <laughs> Thank you so I'll much, there. I appreciate you. You have no idea. Thank you just for he having this platform and being that voice for women who need to hear this. <laughs> 